Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. I'm Ed Krasnick, my co-host Jennifer Kalari, coming up in a minute. We're the show that unites mental health and comedy. We have entertainers, we have all kinds of guests from all over the world talking about mental health, and we actually teach and practice skills, because mental health is a practice. If I were a drummer, a musician, and mental health were a practice, I wouldn't be with a band right now. I don't do it well, but I am getting more and more aware of it as I get older and realizing that little changes, little practices, little things that we do every day can make a big difference in mental health. And just understanding, just being aware of how our brain works, what's happening with with all kinds of stresses that are going on in the world, real and imagined and how we process our thoughts and feelings. This is what mental health is. It's how you respond and how you relate to your your thoughts and feelings. If you've driven off the road just listening to me now, probably a good time. Put your seatbelt on. Put your emotional seatbelt on. Get your airbag in, and let's uh, let's have a conversation about this. I want to tell you that our guest today, this is exciting for me. Uh, This guy was a great stand-up a wonderful host, had a radio show for a long time, did stand-up for many years, is also added to his repertoire that of a creative director where he's worked with a lot of brands and a lot of storytelling, teaching storytelling, teaching about how to tell stories, how to connect with all kinds of things in the workplace as well. I know he's been doing work in that regard, and that's Brian Leonard. Brian's going to join us shortly, and this will be a lot of fun. And I should mention, too, He directed a short film, which was in a lot of the festivals, on Alzheimer's and other issues called I See You. And we're going to talk about how that came to be. Interesting stuff. I wanted to talk a little bit today about uh, loneliness, which is not not a popular issue to talk about, not the most entertaining issue. We're going to, I'm going to make it entertaining. I am known as Mr. Lonely Entertainment. I am... A Lonely Planet of Entertainment is what uh, a lot of reviewers have called me, critics over the years. They've seen stand-up and they'll say he's a lonely planet of entertainment. But loneliness is a big deal in mental health because it is the thing that isolates us from other people. And once you isolate anything that you're thinking or feeling, it's very hard to have an accurate picture. So all kinds of issues uh, are exacerbated by isolation and by loneliness. So like to talk a little bit about that maybe and we can we can explore a lot of other subjects uh, too on the show stress the stress of re-entering the world we talked a little bit about this last week like to continue that conversation because i went to sit at a cafe with my daughter yesterday and i went to a neighborhood in in LA which has turned from an arts neighborhood into Beverly Hills the shop that we went to it was a pudding store that did not accept cash. They only do it via Apple Pay. And it's a store, and I'm not exaggerating when I say it's $25 for a bowl of pudding. I don't really know what to say about that, but it's never good to lease pudding. You should always be able to afford to buy it. But this is really interesting, a changing neighborhood and and community and how how our sense of community and re-entering the world is changing. So we'll talk about that too. Today's show is brought to you by Theraback. Theraback is a Zoom-based plugin that lets you and your therapist choose your own backgrounds for your teletherapy sessions. 
Choose from thousands of backgrounds so you can both project the images that make you feel great while talking about all your issues. Sure, you may be talking about your abusive relationship, but when you're looking at a beach in Tahiti backdrop, who cares? Sure, you're crying because your mother is crazy, but you're looking at Monet's water lilies. Boo-hoo-ha! Sure, you're severely depressed, but when you're looking at the poster of Thelma and Louise, to hell with it! It's Theraback. Choose your own background with Theraback. Now, we always welcome listeners, no matter what emotional state you're in, here are emotional shout-outs. If you go to bed feeling stressed because you dozed off to the making of a murderer, welcome. If exercise for you has become opening a kitchen cabinet, welcome. If the term full capacity describes your waistline, welcome. If you're angry at Netflix for not understanding your basic needs, welcome. If YouTube ads about how to change your life by eliminating constipation are driving you insane, welcome. If your dreams are frozen because of bad broadband, welcome. And if you want Ken Burns to turn your daily life into a Civil War documentary, welcome. And if you're beating yourself up even now, there's always a place for you right here on the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. I want to bring in our guests from the North and from the South, Jennifer Kalari, who is the queen of dopamine, the first lady of serotonin, the wizard of oxytocin. (laughs) Now, Jennifer, I want to talk to you a little bit about loneliness. There's a shame in even even saying the word and even admitting Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with this issue in a culture that's been so isolated for so long? Yeah, it's so interesting. It's so ironic because we're so connected in so many ways. And yet more and more people are just feeling incredibly lonely. Now that's, I mean, that's obviously been exaggerated as well during the pandemic. That's really been something that everyone's been feeling. But, you know, when you're struggling, when you're in emotional pain, when you're having a hard time, you tend to turn inward. And you tend to really think about your own feelings and where you are and what's working and what's not. And and by virtue of just turning inward sometimes, even if you're living in a family, you can become very isolated and you can become lonely. And loneliness is a really, really tough one. Human beings are social beings. When we're good with our people, then we feel better. And every one of us is here because someone at least loved, loved us enough to feed us and keep us comfortable and keep us safe. So connection is the key really to mental health, but you also have to be in a place where you can be open to that connection and know how to regulate your emotions and feelings enough to accept the love and the help that's around you. What's an early warning system where you can actually say, I'm, I'm really leaning into you know, being very isolated and how can I pull myself out of that? How can I relate to that feeling? I feel very lonely today. Mm-hmm. What do I do? Well, listen, in terms of mental health, what what happens when you're feeling very, very depressed or even a little bit depressed um, and anxious is that you're so busy taking your own kind of internal temperature, you know, worrying about what's happening in the world, you know, how your body is reacting to it, that you feel naturally disconnected from others. So one of the really major signs is, are you in your own head all the time? Like, do you find yourself, even when you're with other people, not even listening to what they're saying and really turning inward and thinking about your own thoughts and how you're feeling and how you're reacting. When you feel kind of awful and you're around other people who feel okay, that disconnect, it can be kind of jarring because often when you're depressed or or really anxious, you feel like you're looking at life through a thick pane of glass. 
So it can actually make you feel more lonely when you're around other people who are actually feeling differently from, from how you're feeling. So I, I think looking inward and feeling like you, you can't quite feel what other people are feeling anymore is a pretty good sign that you're, you're kind of on that track to feeling quite lonely. And is there something that I can do in the moment where I can say, wow, this is one of those days, this is one of those moments, this is one of those times, how do I get myself back or at least not beat the crap out of myself and be ashamed and put myself into further hell? Well, that's a hard one because it's double-sided and we talk about that a lot. So when people are, you know, going through something and they're, you know, feeling really depressed or really anxious, you know, they feel all of those feelings and at the same time, They feel like I have no business feeling those feelings. There's people who are so much worse off and what's the matter with me? And so you end up sort of pummeling yourself in this kind of self-loathing state. You know, I think the biggest part, and this is probably the hardest, is almost like a letting go kind of, like first observing that you're in this state, but also just surrendering a little bit. Part of the reason we can plummet so much into deep emotional states is that we're busy fighting it, either arguing with ourselves, you're an idiot, you shouldn't go through this, what's the matter with you, all these books you've read, why are you like this? Or, you know, you you sort of run away from it and you want to watch something or drink something or smoke something or do something to not feel it. And as we've said so many times, Ed, when you do that, the emotions are just information. So they will chase you. They will chase you and make you listen. So sometimes just turning around and surrendering to it and saying, okay, well, this is how I feel right now. I'm going to lean into this a little bit. I'm going to just, I'm just going to stay in this place and I'm going to feel exactly what I'm feeling. And it's almost, when you can do that, it's almost like you're metabolizing the emotion a little bit. You're, you're, you're kind of, I call it the reading the disc. And if you can sit with it a little bit, usually your brain will go, well, finally you listened and it will lift. It will let you lift a little bit. I'm going to do it for a second. I'm going to be that voice that you just talked about. And Mm -hmm. then maybe you can respond as what a response would be. Okay. Okay. I love it. So I can't believe this. You you do this every time. You'll never make it. You're not as good as other people. Everybody's getting ahead. You're a piece of shit and I hate you. (laughs) Okay. So the counter to that voice is first of all, I love you. Okay. I love you for looking out for me. I know you're kind of mad at me right now. But I love that you have my back and you're shaking me and you want me to just do something and be different. I, I love that you've, you, you care about me this much. Okay, that's the first thing that you say to that voice. Does that make sense? Yes. And a shorthand of that, the short version is? Uh, probably, thanks, thanks for caring about me so much. You're mad at me, but in order to be mad at me, you got to care. If you, don't care about, if, if, you're not, if you don't care about something, you're not going to get mad at it. It's like, whatever. So thanks right. for caring. Thanks for thanks caring. For caring. Okay. That's not thanks pretty, but I get it. You care about me. Anger right. or anxiety or whatever it is. It's, it sounds so ridiculous, but if you actually think about it, it makes a lot of sense. Can you say the name? Oh, there you are again. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I've, I've seen you before. I'm, I, I've heard this before from you. <laughs> yeah. But, but as crazy as it sounds, you actually want to do that with a loving voice. Not, yeah. oh, you again. It's got to be like, yeah. okay, here you are fighting okay. for me. I'm, I'm not loving the way it's going down, but I totally right. get anger or anxiety that you are looking out for me and you love me and actually go towards that feeling. Thanks for caring, anger. Thanks for caring, anxiety. Thanks yeah. for caring yeah. about me. Yeah. Okay. And this is what we try to get, get across is it's a two-way conversation. Emotions and thoughts are not a one-way conversation. It's a two-way conversation. You can talk back to any thought. You can talk back to any feeling. 
you can't talk back to me because I'm too busy being isolated. (laughs) So don't even try to reach me because I'm not there for you, but you can talk back to thoughts and feelings. I want to bring on our guests. This gentleman, we did stand up for years together in San Francisco and in the Bay Area, all over the place. He's a great stand-up, great radio host, too. Had his own show up there for for a while. And then uh, had his own creative agency. And also teaches people in different work settings all kinds of things relating to the work experience. Creativity, brand, storytelling, humor in the workplace, all kinds of things. And he made a film, a terrific short film about Alzheimer's called I See You. We're going to talk about all of it right now with Brian Leonard. Brian... First of all, welcome to the Isolation Hootenanny Hour. <laughs> I, I, I should have brought the jug. <laughs> I know you play. Uh, no, I just, I, I enjoyed listening to you and Jennifer with the, the, the voices going back and forth, the inner dialogue. It was like having dinner with Tina Turner. I can Tina Turner externalized those voices in a beautiful way. Uh, and Dr. John wrote about it in a song called I've Been in the Right Place, but it must have been the wrong time. Tell me about you and how you, how you decided to direct this movie. And even before that, how do you relate to the voices in your own head? Uh, fortunately, my voices don't really get along with one another, so they're they're pretty quiet. Yeah. Um, so they, 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 I kind of tamp those down. You know, I'm a Midwestern guy. I take whatever emotions I have, and I just tamp them down and stomp on them, and I, I put them in a big duffel bag, <laughs> and I store it on the shelf next to the box of their resentment. It just lives there. And then I'll, I'll put it in Lucite, and it's a paperweight of, of grief That's, what and a, What a wonderful gift shop you must have. <laughs> It sounds like Spencer Gift, but also therapeutic. So that's great. Yes. Okay. Well, well. Now, how do you come out of that? Because obviously, you have a you have a family, you have a life. You're very accomplished. You're you're doing a lot of work at a very high level, and you're teaching others about doing that work of storytelling. And how do you relate to to taking care of your mental health and all this? Like, uh, like, have you been in a lot of therapy in your life? I have. I, I you know, in, in all seriousness, I, you know, I've battled or struggled with depression on and off for years. I, I you know, and I was half kidding about the Midwestern. It just, that's not the kind of thing you would talk about. So, you know, I, that's why I had to move to California <laughs> to, to come to terms with I'm depressed. Now I know why I'm not living. Because you had, you had a, a whole warehouse of lucite paperweights of resentment. And so that's a heavy <laughs> load to have. And, it, you know, it's good for yeah. paper if you have a lot of paper to tamp down, yeah. but not emotions. Basically, you've uh, worked a lot on yourself. You've, you've shifted things. And, and how I started really is when I was uh, back in Illinois, I was dating a clinical psychologist. We were together for three years. And so that was my first introduction to, um, to mental health. You know, she was a new doctor, so you know it's like probably a new MD. Everything is. It, it was so. You know, in hindsight, Jennifer, I don't know if if this is if this is relatable, but it's so difficult being involved with someone as a mental health <laughs> professional because we'd get into arguments, label. and she would yeah. label it. You know, it's just like, yeah, oh, so you've got this disassociative identity disorder, which is why you perseverate on detachment. I'm like, I don't know, just. Call, call it an asshole. It's not a fair fight, yeah. you know. And it's like, 
Well, and you know what? It gets really complicated too, because everyone has feelings and emotions and everyone has to grapple with this, no matter what your background. And the truth is when you start labeling other people, that's, that's sort of an intellectual defense. And that really isn't fair. And it means that they're not doing the work either. So you've been in, now what makes a good therapist from your perspective? Like what is a, because we've all had, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly, I think. Yeah. I, we, we're seeing a family therapist now and he who's terrific. He's great. He's everything that uh, you could hope for. He's very empathetic. He listens. He meets us where we are. You know, my wife and daughter and I are going through some things right now. And so he is able to hone in on, okay, Eli, my wife, you know, what's going on with you? And he can, he can read the room and put the right amount of attention and, and take the foot off the gas pedal. So he's, he's brilliant in that way. And I've had a couple of therapists that have been very, very good. I had one years ago when I was thinking about leaving stand-up and I was depressed and I saw this guy and we were talking. And at one point I just kind of blurted out, I, I really want to have a child or children. And I started crying and he's like, okay, I think that might be a breakthrough. <laughs> and they say it like that. If you've never been, if you're listening right now and you've never had the pleasure of being in yeah. family therapy, you don't know what you're missing. It is a lovely experience. No, it's, it's probably the most emotionally charged <laughs> experience. And what happens is you, you revert to, often you revert to your worst self, your worst behavior, which yeah. is really where you need to work, yeah. right? And a, a family is a system. Yeah. So everybody kind of dominoes in those sessions. My family was filmed for a, a psychiatric institute at Syracuse University. To this day, it is being shown to students about how not to be. <laughs> it's like, don't be this guy. Don't wind up like this one. This guy is totally out of it. And they, they do like a chalk, like a telestrator, and they'll show. But, but honest yeah. to God, but, but there's, there's so much information and so many, you know, th these are things that you're carrying inside of you. And you're a lot of people, I think, are fatigued by what they carry with them inside. And yeah. they just mm -hmm. it's stored emotion yeah. in your body, you know, and it needs to be released. Yeah. And so, however, that's done. But first, you have to get in touch with it. And if you're if you're from the Midwest yeah. or like me from Boston and you're good at covering stuff up or reacting to those things, you know, it's an exploration. Yeah. And, and that's why I think having a therapist who can meet you where you are, that they come at it. So you can react or, or respond or relate as, and I've had therapists that they just, I had this one woman, she was awful and she just kept going on and on like week after week after week after week about, you know, how, you know, your parents were terrible and like my parents were fine. You know what? And they're both dead. They're gone. Yeah. Let's deal with the present. And she just were. wouldn't let yeah. it go. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, I, you know, I, I figured out all that stuff. I just need to figure out today moving forward. And she just wouldn't let well, it. Well, that, that's if, how you know you're in the wrong space. Like a good therapist creates safety and, and exactly, as you say, reads the room and meets everyone where they are. And really, a, all that's really happening in therapy is the therapist is creating an environment where not everybody is as limbically charged as they would be in their living room. Right? So- it allows people yeah. to kind of communicate and speak in a way because there's a, a moderator there, there's someone else there, and then they can guide the conversation and, and, and almost kind of get to underneath what people really mean when they're talking. And, I mean, therapy can be incredibly yeah. moving and wonderful, and I, I wish everyone on the planet could have access to it. But, it, you know, it's, it can be a, a, 
a tricky landscape sometimes because it's not, it's not meant to be fun, right? If you're, if you're having fun in yeah. therapy, you're probably not doing the work you need to do, right? <laughs> was, it, was it like the therapist who I yeah. went in and I always try to, you know, make people laugh because I'm uncomfortable. So I went in, I made a joke and she said, I'm sure you're very funny, but that's not why you're here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. But you know, you know, it's interesting that you say that because the the, the first therapist that I mentioned that, that was very good, uh, I remember like four or five sessions and I, I stopped and I thought, and it's like, oh, I don't have to make him laugh. Yes. And I was so concerned about always trying to entertain people and just being light. And it was this enormous burden taken off my shoulders. Like, oh. Yes, because that hour is about yeah. you, right, yeah. for once. It was really, yeah, yeah it, was, it was telling yeah, absolutely. This is, and if you really want to, you know, this is just something I've seen. If you really want to progress in therapy, you know, and when I say progress, I mean just open up. Talk about what you don't like about the therapist. This is the key. The key is if there's something that you're resistant to that you don't like, you bring yeah. it up with them, and then it yeah. opens yeah. the gates. And and it's often the most uncomfortable part of therapy, but it it it, it does move you through therapy yeah. in a different yeah. way. You know, not so careful, not so comfortable, not so much of an entertainer. What, whatever yeah. it is that you yeah. do, whatever the behavior is, there's a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about also. And one is mm-hmm. this film that you made and how that came to be. You made a short film called "I See You." about Alzheimer's and, and dementia. And how did you get into that? And what kinds of things did you learn in making this movie? I lost my father-in-law to Alzheimer's 12, 13 years ago. And so uh, my daughter, six or seven years ago, was wanted to do some volunteer work. So she volunteered at this retirement home in, in Oakland, uh, nursing home. And there is an art therapist there, this woman, Erin Partridge, who's fantastic. She's this fantastic artist uh, who works with memory patients, dementia and, and Alzheimer's patients. And because Emily, my daughter, her grandfather was this fine artist and he had Alzheimer's, she connected with that. Emily continued to volunteer for years. You know, I'd have to drive and I would kind of hang out and observe. And so I got to know Erin and I saw the work that she did. And it's it's really, truly remarkable. I just... Uh, was in contact with, uh, you know, Tony Bennett, uh, his family announced that he has Alzheimer's. And there's this really nice article, a fellow from the New Yorker wrote this article that kind of announced it. So I reached out to him and he saw the film and he said, you know, that's, I recognize that's the same kind of things that the Tony Bennett's family is talking about. The, the power of art with someone who's suffering from dementia, Alzheimer's or, or mm-hmm. memory impairment. It's these people that were sometimes completely uncommunicative. They, they hadn't uttered a word either all week or, or for months. And they go into the setting and you put a paintbrush in their hand or a marker. And then all of a sudden their face lightens up and they start to talk. And sometimes they tell stories and sometimes, you know, the, the stories will kind of ramble, but you pick up pieces. And, I, you know, I had seen that and I thought, God, that's just a, a great story. And I wanted to make a full length feature, but my wife is a film editor who edited this. And so I know what that means. That's like, you know, years and years. Uh, and so I thought, well, it'd be better to just at least tell the short story and to get it out and get it done than to try to work on it for, you know, five, six, eight years uh, to try to finish this this feature length doc. Well, how did that change your your perspective of Alzheimer's and of, of your, you know, kind of your own perspective on the world and, and the way people connect? Seeing firsthand what my father-in-law 
went through. And I saw when he lost his ability to draw and, and um, his inability to, to speak. And so I recognized in these patients, these residents, that they, they live in this, their, their brain is kind of this walled off area, but there are entry points and art could be one of them. It just kind of lightens their mood. It, it opens them up. It op- opens them up to the world instead of this, this walled off world that they live in that's completely insular. You're talking about you know, being alone. It made me rethink that people that are suffering from dementia are not completely walled off, that there, there may be entry points and, and art could be one of those. I love that because we were talking about loneliness yeah. and isolation and my mother uh, passed away from Alzheimer's last year, actually, right in the middle of COVID. And music was her mm-hmm. entry point. She long stopped being able to speak, but we would sing. Yeah. We would sing. And then she, her eyes would light up and I know that we were connecting, yeah. right? So the, you're talking about these moments of yeah. connection where there's still you know, humanity and you're experiencing each other. So that is very beautiful. There's the story that Aaron uh, tells. Um, there's a woman who was completely uncommunicative and she was laying, you know, basically in a vegetative state. And so she wanted to invite her in. So she just came in to observe. She learned that this woman was an artist, you know, many years ago. So she was curious. So she put a paintbrush in her hand. Instinctively, her, her hand grasped the paintbrush and she started making mm-hmm. these strokes. And being an artist herself, Erin recognized she was making paintbrush strokes. And she, you know, it just kind of changed. It obviously didn't change the diagnosis, but it changed her ability to communicate and connect with the world, as you were talking about. What I've heard also, and this is kind of, this is amazing too, is that with dementia, I'm not sure about Alzheimer's, but with dementia uh, patients, that improv Mm -hmm. has actually been something that has Mm -hmm. really helped a lot of people. Because what happens is, if it's Alzheimer's or if it's if it's dementia and the person says something like, you know, who are you or I'm this person or makes a statement, rather than deny it, you go oh, with it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You yep. say, oh, yeah. yes, you are. You sure are. Absolutely. And, and speaking of that, yeah. look at this. And you go and you make them laugh. That makes a lot sense. of sense, Ed, because what happens is pe- family members get nervous and they're, what are you talking about? What do you mean? And they challenge the person and their anxiety goes up and then they get even more stressed. So yeah, being able to just go with it. Beautiful. Yeah. And, and, and that it actually has made transformations for, you know, many people that there've been articles written about this in the New York Times and Chicago Tribune and different, like actually using improvisers and improv groups, teaching family members how to wow. do this. The skill of, of improv, I have to say, I never thought of it as like a therapeutic skill. It, it always felt good when you did mm-hmm. it. It has so many uses. First of all, we talk about this rehearsing the things that are difficult for you mm-hmm. mentally. You rehearse them. Yeah. You role play. You can do all kinds. You don't have to be Lawrence. You don't have to be an actor. You don't have to be Robin Williams. You can use this in your life to rehearse the things that you're afraid yeah. of. And you can do it, whether it's you do it with, with patients, whether you're doing it with people who are, you know, dealing with certain issues, or whether it's just your kid, yeah. or whether it's just you. You can do this anytime, anywhere. Yeah. I can't recommend, like, enough people taking an improv class, whatever they, however they do it. The other thing that I wanted to explore a little bit with you, too, 
is this idea of the hero's journey mm-hmm. and how that relates to storytelling. Because can you talk a little bit about, you know, some of your work that you've done, your creative work, and how you teach people, you know, how to tell stories and where this whole idea, you know, first of all, what the hero's journey is and where this whole idea came from? Yeah. I mean, hero's journey and, and probably have heard it or at least are vaguely familiar with it. You know, Joseph Campbell, mythologist, uh, uh, you know, popularized, he didn't create it, but popularized this idea that all stories have the same kind of structure, that you start off in this place that they're familiar with, and then there's some kind of call, and they answer the call, then they go through the portal. And, you know, Star Wars is is the most frequently uh, cited uh, kind of a prime example mm-hmm. of that. Uh, and it's true, it's, you know, it, it, that doesn't mean that every story, every movie, uh, follows it um, to the letter, nor should it, because then it becomes you know formulaic. But there is a structure and a tension and a release. And it's true in, in telling stories for, for corporations, for businesses, for brands. And it's just this idea of the hero, whoever he or she may be, there's a, there's a challenge that they answer and they go through and they have these obstacles uh, one after another, and they find you know a mentor who can guide them along their journey. They, they reach their goal, and they come back to their normal world, either, you know, smarter or with, with some kind of newfound knowledge or new kind of bravery. And it, you know, it's a, it's a template that works um, surprisingly well. And the more you, you learn it and you see movies, you're like, okay, yeah, that's, it, it follows the same kind of uh, journey, the same kind of uh, template almost. How does it, how does it relate to how you problem solve in your own life or, how you view, you know, yourself. Because my, my daughter actually went to a school and it was all based on this. Mm-hmm. And the education and the way you learn, what they taught, what they tried to teach you was not what you learn, but how you learn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you're aware of mm-hmm. how you learn, you can learn anything. All of us, obviously, I'm not saying anything brilliant or insightful, but we all face challenges and obstacles. Uh, and sometimes they're they're overwhelming, and sometimes they're just annoyances. But it's how you answer that call. I think that's kind of a test of your mettle. You know, if you're going through some personal problems, dilemmas, challenges, kind of putting your shoulder down and and pushing through it, and then finding that mentor who can give you the emotional guidance, uh, as the case may mm-hmm. be. At the end of this journey, uh, hopefully you're you're stronger, emotionally stronger. Um, you have some kind of resilience that you've built up. And so I think it's a rinse and repeat template that, that can work for all of us, not all the time, but more often than you would, than you would tend to believe. Uh, Jennifer, can you speak? Do you, do you ever talk about that with your patients or have you taught that kind of uh, approach? Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because you'll see these archetypes, you'll see these you'll see this patterning in movies and films. And and one of the themes that's often there is that the answer was in you all along, yeah. right? Which is a really, really important part of it. And, and, and as we talk, Ed, throughout this show, one of the things we come back to, which kind of fits into the hero's journey, is you can either go life through life in victimhood or you can go through life as a student. What can I learn? How can I get better? Who can help me? How can I grow? And that's really the difference. And no matter how difficult things seem with mental health issues, and they can be really brutal, it can be, I mean, depression, especially and anxiety too. I mean, it's absolutely crippling. Um, But trying to always find a part of your brain that's like, okay, how can I not 
get stuck here? How can I, how, what, what's my lesson? What can I learn? What small thing can I take in the situation to move forward? And that really is the hero's yeah. journey. And, and Jennifer, how do you, so if you're stuck or if you feel stuck uh, mm-hmm. or overwhelmed, um, any thoughts on how you can just get that first foot and forward, uh, foot forward to get going down yeah. that journey again? Yeah, absolutely. And and it's it's hard. I mean, when people go through this, when they're in a, a depression or they're in a literally in an anxiety cycle where they can't move, you know, understanding this, the way the brain works is really important. And at a certain point, the brain will go into not only fight or flight, it'll go into what's called immobilization, which is an even deeper part of the brain. It's even a more primitive part of the brain where you can't move. You want to move, but you can't. So in a, in a deep depression, for example, people say, oh, why don't you go for a walk? Why don't you take a shower? Like even sitting up can take you 45 yeah. minutes when you're in a state like that. And, and people don't understand that who haven't helped someone through that or who haven't experienced them it themselves. So part of it is when you're stuck, you're stuck. So surrender, mm-hmm. just lean in and allow yourself that moment. Find some part of your brain that will tell you this will pass. It may last a while, but it will pass. Once you start to observe yourself and be aware, then it starts to let go a little bit. And when you're really in a dark or, or stuck state, there are very few strategies that actually work. What's, what's helpful is to have someone there who knows how to help you. And that's usually not somebody saying, why don't you take a shower? How about some tea? Why don't you sit up? Let's open these drapes. Like That's the worst thing you can do for someone who's really struggling. It's someone who's just willing to sit there to pop in and pop out and say, hey, I'm here, right? Rub your back, hold your hand, check with you by phone. Hey, I want you to know I'm out here. That is so powerful for people that are struggling because often people who are stuck and struggling that are also feeling horrible for feeling that way. Right, I'm such an idiot. Why am I stuck here? What's the matter with me? I got to go. But the same way you want someone to do that for you, you need to do for yourself. And that's why talking back, okay, depression, you know, anger, anxiety, you've got me, but I know that you do love me in some weird way. You're trying to save me. You're trying to help me. You're trying to freeze me so that I don't go out into the dangerous world. So I'm going to honor you and I'm going to respect you and I'm going to love you for doing that. And then often, as soon as you can start to do that a little bit, the self-loathing language changes and now you can start to climb out. And the way you climb out is literally by finding something to think about that's slightly more positive than what you were thinking about before, but not so positive that your brain goes, what are you doing? Get back down here. And just slowly climbing up this verbal ladder where you're like, okay, well, at least I'm in bed and and I'm warm and my blankets are soft. Well, you shouldn't be in bed. Well, but And then you sort of re, you find another statement. Well, yep, I appreciate that voice is there, but for this moment, I'm actually safe in this moment. I'm not in danger in this moment. And I, I know my wife's out there or my mom's going to check in on me. And slowly, slowly talk to yourself because it's really the words in our head where thoughts go, energy mm-hmm. flows that can actually get us out of that. And it's commitment and it's yeah. practice. It's doing it over and over and over again until you start to achieve some mastery. To get that flywheel going is, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I'm always of the mindset of action. Mm-hmm. Just get out of bed, force yourself. And sometimes that works, oftentimes it does not. And just, you know, to mm-hmm. your point of just letting that settle and then slowly get that flywheel going. Yeah. Little steps, little actions, little tiny things. And the other thing is this is temporary. Yeah. Just just the word temporary, it's temporary. 
this is temporary. Yeah, I remind it's myself it's not because that's the first thought. The first thought is it's permanent. Mm-hmm. This is the way it's always going to be now. Well, no, it's temporary. It's not dangerous. It's uncomfortable. It feels like it's going to be this way always, but it's not. And then, and to Brian's point too, if you're not in a really stuck place, if you're just sort of there, you're afraid you're going down there. If you can find some energy to switch rooms, go outside, drink some water, like do change states, that can often help mm-hmm. as well. Yep. Action, action. Mm-hmm. You know, my father, <laughs> he was the extreme, the extreme version. You know, he had uh, you know chemical depression from when he was a kid. They didn't have a name for it, and they didn't have medicine for it. So what he found was exercise. What he did was, you talk about action, he took weights on uh, when he went over for World War II. So in his duffel bag were 80 extra pounds of weight. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. That's an absolutely true story. And I said, wow. Dad, why would you do that? And he said, well, where am I going to work out? He wow. had a whole different thing, and we thought he was nuts. And really, he wasn't nuts. He was taking care of himself. Yeah. Working out, running, walking, or there are a lot of scientific studies that show that that can be as effective as medication. Right. And and I say, you know, when you're listening to the Mental Health Comedy Podcast with Jennifer Kalari, Ed Krasnick, and our guest Brian Leonard, and I would say that, you know, we have a lot of merch now that's going to help you. We have the Fight, Flight, or Freeze pajama set, which is... <laughs> Is printed very uh, in beautiful lettering, and it reminds you that you're in fight, flight, or freeze mode. <laughs> and this is how you tell. This is how you become aware. You you write it on your pajamas, and so it comes with your own chalk. You can write it, but it, it but it also has it stenciled on the uh, on the garment, and it is fully washable. Uh, it's wash and wear. Everything is, including your emotions. <laughs> also, the mental health potholders are available for sale at makelightmedia.com. We have merch, so don't worry about it. Well, I want to I wanna really thank you. First of all, it's just good to talk to you, Brian, and I wish you lots of success with, with the film, and I know it's helped a lot of people just seeing it, and it's called I See You. Where can they access that? How do they find it? I mean, you could actually go to my website, brian-leonard.com, and it's it's a seven-minute film. It's a it's truly a short. So brian-leonard.com and check it out. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Beautiful. And a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Brian. Thank you both. Ed, you you know, I, I always love talking to you, and Jennifer, wonderful meeting you. Thank you both. Oh, nice meeting you, too. Well, that's our show for this week, and I want to remind you that wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us. You can find us at makelightmedia.com, M-A-K-E-L-I-G-H-T, media.com. Or you can find us at Spotify or wherever. And on the network, on the brand new network called Believe, it's B-L-E-A-V, network, Believe, B-L-E-A-V.com. It's brand new for us. So we're also on that network. And I want to just tell you, take good care and... Keep coming back. It works if you work it. I'm Ed Krasnick for Jennifer Kalari and for ConnectedParenting.com, where you can find out a lot more about Jennifer and skills that you can use. I'm Ed Krasnick. We will see you next time.